When it comes to hiring, don't go searching for the one. Just meet your match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right. It's sunset-ish. I mean, it's cloudy out, so we're not really a true sunset. But regardless, that still makes it rum 30. <laughs> I'm going to go beer 30, but beer there you 30. go. There we go. Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. If we're talking about the Steelers, it all feels appropriate. I'm going out to Pittsburgh in a few days, by the way. I know. I'm a little bit jealous. East Coast in sort of late spring, early summer, uh, oh, having grown up there. It's a cool place to be. Yeah. No. The, I've only been to to one Steelers home game, and it was like Duck Hodges against... I remember that. <laughs> like, the really, really, like, aggressively mid-Rams pre-Stafford trade. It was, it was a fun game, but... It's a defensive battle, to say the least. To say the least. I, I think the Steelers, though, now are a much more entertaining squad than they were a couple years ago. Uh, yeah. With, like, old Roethlisberger that couldn't move, and then you had the, the Duck Hodges and, and Mason battle, and then they brought in battle. Mitch. Yeah, battle. He used the term loosely. Brought in Mitch, even though everybody knew that Kenny was better. Uh, even in the preseason, it was very obvious that Kenny was better. And then eventually Kenny got on the field, and all of a sudden they started winning again. Who knew? Uh, and Tomlin, in true Tomlin fashion, dragged that team to not having a losing record. And now the Steelers are poised in 2023 to be a pretty damn good football team. And I, for one, am, uh, am totally okay with Yinzers everywhere declaring they're going to win the division because, to be perfectly honest, they have the talent to win the division. But we're going to get into all that. Uh, we're going to talk about scheme. We're going to talk about personnel. We're going to talk about uh, Kenny Pickett's development and everything that you need to know about the 2023 Pittsburgh Steelers. But first things first, Jay, while I drink this rum, roll the intro. Welcome back to the Bootleg Football Podcast. We are smack dab in the middle of week two of our off-season team-by-team breakdown series, spending roughly an hour-ish or more on every single team. Today is Steelers Day, obviously. I'm sure there's a bunch of Yinzers that have never seen us before that are uh, seeing us for the first time. If you're not familiar with the show, we are a, uh, at least we try to be, <laughs> a, a thinking <laughs> man's football podcast. Uh, you know, sometimes we, we drink enough to the point where we are not a thinking man's football podcast anymore. But that's our goal here. You know, we talk about scheme. We, we get really nitty gritty into personnel fits. Um, we, we talk about, you know, random assistant coaches that maybe you've never heard of before that actually have a pretty big impact on how these teams do. And we do our best to... Uh, to give you the most possible knowledge of this Steelers squad going into 2023. But before we get started, EJ, how you doing? 
I'm good. I probably need a few more sips of beer because we're recording a couple of these a day and this is not the first, but I'm excited about it. It's a strong way to finish. Excited about the Steelers prospects. It is one of those teams. Um, they are one of those teams, I should say, that's on the rise. We see the arrow going up for them overall, spoiler alert. But we're going to talk about all those marks. We're going to talk about how some of those players fit in real football and how the Steelers might finish in the table. And we're going to talk about how some of those Steelers players fit into fantasy because our wonderful sponsor, Underdog Fantasy, has picked up the tab for two years so that we get to keep doing this and you get to keep watching it. And hopefully we keep elevating football discussion across the NFL. That's our goal. They have been kind enough to do that and we couldn't be happier. So we'll touch on some of those fits as well, but I'm excited to get into it. Uh, this was a team that had its ups and downs to say the least last year. And I think probably going into this year, we're gonna see more ups than downs. Yeah, they were the most unlikely nine and eight team. Uh, well. They were the most likely 98 because it's, it's Mike Tomlin. But in terms of how they started and then how they got there, it was one of those like, oh, my God, I think the streak is over. And then, of course, it's not. Of it's course the it's Steelers. Not. They're going to go 9-8. and eight. Uh, I think if, if they just started Kenny from week one, yeah. they would have made the playoffs. And a lot of Steelers fans would have been like, oh, my God, successful season. Yes. Now, though, knowing that if they started Kenny from week one, they would have made the playoffs. Now the expectations are a lot higher. I believe so, and, and rightfully so. I think that's going to be justified. Let's talk a little bit about how that whole year went, how they got there. The 2022 Steelers overall record, as you said, 9-8, and eight, ranking the division third. Again, that probably could have been higher, but that's the way it worked out in the end. Home record even split. Most Pittsburgh fans not used to that, used to defending home turf vigorously they split even four and four at home on the road five and four better away from pittsburgh surprising and in the last four games this is why a lot of fans are getting excited about this team four and one as they started to get their sort of sea legs under them kenny pickett started to develop they hit a bit of a roll and you started to see some glimpses of what this team might be they've made a bunch of additions this offseason uh and that's i think why people are getting excited heading into 23. One of the things we've got this year on all these team summaries is an effectiveness summary. And we're using EPA per play as a measurement to help us define whether or not a football team is, for lack of a better term, good at football. And we've broken that down into offense and defense. For offense, we've broken it into rushing and passing. For defense, defending the run and coverage against the pass. And then of course you gotta score points. So points scored and points allowed. The total of those six numbers give us a pretty good indicator of how decent this team was at doing things that a football team needs to do to win. In Pittsburgh's case, the rushing offense, eighth. Top 10, right where Pittsburgh expects to be. I think most Steelers fans are probably satisfied with that ranking. Might actually sort of jealously want it to be a little bit higher, but eight they're probably fine with. We get into the passing offense, and again, Bit of a tale of two seasons. If you look at the first half of the season and the second half of the season, you'd probably see a much different rank. The way it averaged out league-wide was 18th overall for the entire year. I think most Pittsburgh fans, again, watch the games would say, mm, middle of the pack as a passing team. Yeah, yeah that, that pretty much checks out. Rush defense, 15th. This is a right down the middle of the fairway kind of a team. That is good enough to win in the modern NFL, um, I think, 
a lot of folks that have lived through a lot of Steelers football think 15th is a little low, maybe offensive. Well, that's end of the world for them. Yeah. yeah. But overall, I'm telling you folks, you can win with that ranking in the modern NFL. And in terms of defending the pass, they struggled a little bit more, but only a little bit more. It came out 18th league-wide. Again, a number you can live with in a very offensively oriented league. Those defensive scores are not ones that will sink a team if the offense is good enough to pick up the slack on the other side. So let's talk about points scored. They scored 308 points, good for 26th. And this is where you see the difference between early season and the inability to score points. And Kenny comes on, starts to warm up, especially in that last five games, they go four and one and pick up some points but not many overall. They were near the bottom of the league in scoring, and that's where those defensive scores aren't going to put you over the hump. You would need top 10 defensive scores in both categories to compete with only scoring that many points. In terms of points allowed as a scoring defense, they're actually really good. They only allowed 346 points. It was good for 10th. That's top third in the league. Absolutely good enough to keep a team afloat if you have the offense to go with it. So again, that's where some of the excitement builds for 23 is additions to the offense, Kenny Pickett in year two, a little bit more comfortable. And you can start to see how this team that was already rounding into form at the end of last year now could take that next jump. If you take all six of those numbers, divide them by six and get a sort of average league rank of where Pittsburgh came in compared to their peers, our bootleg power score for this team, the raw number is 15.8, so better, top half, and that gives them a 16th highest average, which is dead middle of the line. Mm-hmm. Um, but we expect that number to go up. It's not bad. And if you're looking at improvement, and we see improvement in a lot of places, free agency, the draft, again, growth in Kenny Pickett, I think that number is going to rise. Keep in mind, they had a better power score. And this is golf rules, by the way. You want a lower score. That's right. They had a better power score than Minnesota, who was a 13-win team. You know, And I think it's kind of the exact opposite of the Vikings where the Vikings were like they won games but I don't want to say did they win them the right way it's like did they win them a sustainable way probably not whereas the Steelers you're like they lost some games but also they gave those games away like they weren't getting bullied you know and towards the end of the year they were playing like the Steelers we expected them to be Um, what really fascinates me is is you know the past events being 18th EPA allowed if TJ Watt played more than 10 games guarantee you that's a lot higher yep by himself so just Watt being healthy and Kenny starting from week one that's probably not a nine win team they're probably an 11 win team and that makes a little bit more sense for a power score that's 16th in the NFL right that you expect that to be a playoff I mean they were a playoff contender but like a solid like in the money in a wild card situation they were a better team than their record indicates i think that's what the power score indicates and that's one of the reasons i love this number is it kind of cuts through the bullshit yeah about wins because wins can be fluky right you can get a tipped pick six and you get a score and that's the difference and is that sustainable is it going to happen all the time no it does happen but over the course of a 17 game season when you look at all those numbers and then you average them out it really distills it down to how good was this team at football not necessarily how good was this team at winning You look at a team like the Vikings, won 13 games. You look at a team like Pittsburgh that only won nine games. And you say, but at the end of the year, like, if Pittsburgh had made the playoffs, I probably would have taken them just based on the scoring defense alone. Oh, definitely. Yeah, definitely. When looking at our scheme numbers here, just to kind of give more context to the power score, um, 
and I kind of touched on this a little bit when I recently did an episode over on, on my channel about uh, the lineage of the of the Tampa 2 and why it's basically just inverted cover three and how Mike Tomlin, who comes from, um, you know, the Tony Dungy and Monty Kiffin coaching tree, how even today, without Tomlin even being the DC, you still kind of see some of that, mm-hmm. that influence, right? Um, looking at, at how the Steelers conducted their defense, it's – it's a similar type of style to that old, you know, Tampa two or mid two thousands bears, but slightly tweaked. They ran the sixth most cover two in the entire league last year. It went up to number two on third down specifically, or sorry, not on third down on second down specifically, um, because they played a lot of cover three on early downs. They were also ninth in overall cover three heavily on first down. So they could get a run stop and then play cover two on second down. Um, you know, didn't play a whole lot of zero. They were 23rd in that. Didn't play uh, a whole lot of quarters. In fact, they played almost no quarters. No quarters. 32nd in the league in quarters. They were 18th in quarter, quarter, half. A lot of people know that as cover six. They were uh, below average in that. Um, in cover one, in terms of like just playing straight up man coverage, they were ninth. So again, there's like some of that like cover one cover three pete carroll ish type mm-hmm. thing going on but also playing a lot of cover two specifically on second down there was kind of like a rhythm and a cadence to this defense in terms of how they did things on the coverage side it made them slightly predictable but also they were mostly effective really the one area that they struggled was just in having the dudes at corner to be able to play man coverage they didn't really have that, which is why they invested a corner in the offseason to try to fix that problem. Um, Corey Trice, how you doing, babe? <laughs> By the way, he's been killing it in OTAs. I so, know. you know. Best shape of his life. No, he got three PBUs in practice. Uh, like, we're good. Future time. future Pro Bowler Corey Trice, just saying. Just saying. No, but uh, you, you could really tell that they, they knew that was a problem, corner mm-hmm. specifically. And in order to play this style of defense they want to play, which is, hey, sometimes we got to survive on islands. They needed better dudes, and they, they made moves to do that. Uh, but overall, again, it's a it's a very rhythmic offense. They're playing single high coverages, whether it's cover one or cover three on early downs. They're going to get a tackle for loss, or they're going to stop you for two yards. They're going to put bodies in gaps to get you into second and eight. Then they're going to play a little bit of cover two, you know, hopefully try to force a mistake, but at worst rally and tackle, get you into third and three or third and five, whatever it was, which is a lot more manageable than third and one. Mm-hmm. And at that point, they're going to, again, man up. They're going to try to disrupt these receivers just to give T.J. Watt two and a half seconds. That's their whole plan. And for the most part, it works when Watt's healthy and when their corners don't get absolutely obliterated. They're going to try to play that again this year and probably be a lot better at it. This feels like one of the straightest defenses in the NFL. Cover one, cover two, cover three. Ninth, sixth, ninth. They are not uh, uh, disguise, as you would say. They they do not disguise at all. They just play it straight down the middle of the field. No, they stand these guys up and they say, "We're going to do what we're going to do. You know what we're going to do. We think we have the dudes to run it because we are just going to execute." Yeah. You know, you come film our practice. Doesn't matter. You already have the game film. It's the same thing. We're not putting any wrinkles in. We're not using a ton of late snap rotation. We're here. Come on, let's go. And I know, uh, you know, 
Minka's one of your favorite players. And yeah. I remember before he was coming out in the draft, you were one of the loudest champions of Minka anywhere. Yeah. You had a monster grade on him. And when you have a free safety like him, you can kind of get away with that. Because it's like, yeah, we go ahead. Try the seam. I dare you. Yeah, he can cover it. And this is the Steelers, again, are this is the defense we're going to run. We need a certain type of player, whether that's a corner, whether that's an edge, whether it's a linebacker, whether that's a safety. I mean, Minka's just a gift for them because he can do so many things and sort of cross roles. But even before, you know, even the folks they've had play beside him, they have a role for that guy, right? They have a type. Um, and they're just going to line these folks up and kind of smack you in the mouth and say, our guys are better and try and stack a superstar at each level. They got TJ Watt, who is obviously one in the front row. They got Minka, who is obviously one in the back, you know, holding things down there. Uh, they had probably a budding one at linebacker. They've been trying to find that ever since. But they're basically like, we're going to put a star on each level. We're going to do what we do. We're going to line up and we're just going to out Jimmy's and Joe's you. Because the X's and O's, you can see plainly. Mm-hmm. Like it does not take an analyst to pick their defense apart. It is cover one, cover two, cover three, no quarters, a little bit of quarter, quarter, half, cover five. That's it. That's all we do. Where, where did you have uh, Joey Porter Jr., by the way, in your corner rankings? I can't remember. Ooh, I'd have to look it up, but I think it was fourth. I know it was at least top five. Yeah, yeah. I think it was fourth. But he's a perfect fit for them. A hundred percent. Line up and press and go beat people up. Like yeah. it's long arms. It's so transparent what they're trying to do, but it almost doesn't matter because they're going to be really good at it. It was funny because he got mocked to them a lot because of his dad, yeah, and because of his proximity in college and everything else. And I'm like, yeah, but like as a football player, the fit is like this. Oh, like, yeah. So if he actually does go there, it's going to be like. Well, yeah, it has nothing to do with his dad. I mean, it does. Tomlin is absolutely loyal. It to helps, players. but, you know. But, like, as a player for what he is really good at and how he is built physically, like, that's who they want. Uh, you know, it's kind of reflected in their blitz percentage, too, in terms of how they how they like to cover people. Um, because they're, they're kind of not super blitz heavy on third and long. They, they more... Um, they more rely on playing either straight up man coverage with a rat in the hole. So they're not bringing the extra guy to make it a five plus rush. They really like to play a lot of one rat. Um, so it's the, the two linebackers will then uh, they'll do what's called banjoing on the running back. And mm-hmm. if the running back goes that way, that linebacker takes and the other linebacker plays a rat in the hole. Um, they don't typically package their man coverage with blitzes like say Detroit does. Um, which is why their blitz percentage on third and seven plus is 21st in the league. Their blitz percentage on third and medium between three and six is 19th in the league. They typically, when they play man coverage, will also have zone helpers or they're going to play cover three or they're going to play cover two. And I think that was a big reason why they struggled at times last year is because without sending a lot of blitzes, you have to be able to win up front with four. And for too much of the year, it was... It was kind of Cam Hayward versus the world there without TJ. So with TJ coming back, honestly, I expect that blitz rate to go even lower mm-hmm. because they're going to have horses up front. You know, they brought in Keanu Benton. Like that that four-man rush is going to be pretty wicked while also having better coverage on the back end. It's 
I think Steelers fans that want to return to a top 10 overall defense are going to be pleasantly surprised. Well, they have guys to be able to do it in the way that they want to. Mm -hmm. Tomlin being one of the longest tenured coaches in the NFL, has a system, believes in it, has adapted it. I'm, I'm not saying he hasn't adapted. They, you know, Pittsburgh's transformation from a sort of more hulking power-based defense, uh, you know, big guys on the outside. Think about Jason Gildon and mm -hmm. all those guys. They had that type. And they realized where the league was going about speed and space and their linebacking core like shrunk for doing the time lapse and got a lot faster. They wanted guys with better range. So it's not that he doesn't adapt, but he has a defensive philosophy. Um, I don't want to call it rigid because it adapts, but he is rigid in his adherence to getting players that fit within the system. Do you know what their, uh, just interior three, you know what their rotation is too deep on the interior three? So they're starting is Cam Hayward, yeah. or we're assuming, Cam Hayward, uh, Keanu Benton, and Larry Ogunjobi. Yep. <laughs> Their second line is Armin Watts, Marvin Leal, and Montrevious Adams. Monto. Like, that's nuts. Plus TJ on the edge. You know, plus Alex Highsmith on the edge. They brought in Nick Herbig, whose one goal in life is to kill quarterbacks. You know, Marcus Golden's still kicking around there. I didn't realize that. God, they like, just signed him. This, this whole rush uh, rotation mm -hmm. inside and outside is one of the best in the NFL. They're not going to give people breaks. If they get like a 7 to 10 point lead on you, pack it up. Yeah, pin your ears back and just go smash people. And that'll make Pittsburgh fans the world over. And there are Pittsburgh fans literally all over the world, some of the happiest campers going this fall. Now, flipping it over to the offense uh, in terms of offensive numbers, I was intrigued by this mix because the Steelers run game is very unique. Mm. I wouldn't say it's super versatile in terms of, of how they would use their running backs, but it was versatile in terms of how they ran the ball, if that makes sense. So they were fourth in inside zone. They were 17th in outside zone, which when your running back is Najee Harris and he's 242 pounds or 244, whatever he played at last year, having the juice to actually press front side and outside zone that's not really his run when he's that big so inside zone made a lot more sense um and you also expect him to be pretty high in duo they were not they were 21st in duo they were 31st in power they mm -hmm. were 30th in counter all this stuff that you would expect they did with Najee, they didn't really do it was mostly you know mostly especially when kenny was there line up in the shotgun we're running inside zone from gun however a unique component to the Steelers' run game is 10% of all of their runs were jet sweeps. They were double the next closest team in the NFL in terms of number of jet sweeps. That was how they tried to attack outside with the run game. Yeah. They didn't do it with crack toss. They didn't do it with you know trying to get Najee front side and outside zone. It was if we yeah. want to attack the edges on the ground, it's jet sweeps. They're the only team in the NFL that does that. They had some mixed success. Sure. I am fascinated to see if they keep doing that this year because they do have some speed at receiver where they can try to make that work. Yeah. Um, or I wonder if maybe they try to make Najee shed some weight and 
just like what they did with Le'Veon back in the day. Le'Veon was also 240 early in his career, and then he shed down to like 225, 230. When Najee was coming out, he was 230. He's already played at that weight before and been very good at it. I wonder if maybe they make him lose a little bit of weight so that they can use him to try to get outside a little bit more and not rely on their receivers. Well, one of your favorites is lurking on their depth chart. Anthony McFarland is RB3. And he does have juice. They, just, they don't give him snaps. He's got gas. <laughs> uh, and then Jason Huntley, who is undersized, and typically the Steelers have not used undersized running backs in their primary offense. Um, but he, too, uh, more of a returner and, yeah, a, a classic sort of third down back, but he can scoot as well. So I'd be interested to see if they try and do that, like you said, more traditionally, um, less with the jet sweep. Um, I'd like to see them develop that counterpunch because they're a little bit predictable in what they did. They're very good at it. It wasn't that they didn't have success. It's that it's always nice to sort of rock a defense back on its heels like, oh, you don't think we can get outside and cut back? Guess what? Got a couple of guys to ask you. We're not going to do it all the time. Mm-hmm. We're going to pull it out a couple times a game, maybe just to keep you honest, just to keep from, you know, you want to over-pursue? Okay, cool. No problem. We'll take advantage. Um but it'll be fascinating to see how they attack that and moreover if they attack that i would just like to see them have a little bit uh a little bit more creativity from the gun and i I think that's a big reason why they run outside zone so much is because they're in shotgun yeah and it's hard to do outside zone from shotgun because the the path of the back is just it's kind of like wonky like you got to like banana the back even wider and it's it doesn't hit the same like the pace is wrong so a lot of teams don't run outside zone from the gun and a lot of shotgun-based teams, like that's why their outside zone numbers are lower. And Kenny is more comfortable from the gun. So if they're going to run something other than inside zone, like you can still run power from the gun. You can run yeah. duo from the gun. You can run counter from the gun. I'd like, I'd like to see them mix that more in. Mm-hmm. Um, I would also say that, you know, looking at their, their passing offense stats, I would say Najee's size also affected their yards after catchability. Mm. Uh, this was a team in terms of uh, air yards percentage, like the percentage of their passing yards that came through the air mm-hmm. rather than after the catch. They were fourth in air yards percentage, which is good, but that also means that they were very low in yards after catchability. Typically, a lot of teams like to be more towards the middle of the pack, a little bit more balanced so they yeah. can get yards in both ways. And a big reason why they were so low in in yak ability was was Najee. He he had a, a yards after catch of six point one per reception, which among just running backs was 59th in the NFL. Wah, wah, wah. So it's kind of if you're giving the ball to Najee, he's gonna get those six yards, but he's only getting those six yards. Yeah. And you're not getting explosives through checkdowns, which yeah. Some teams are able to do, you know, um, and it's a big help because that means that you don't have to then throw dimes down the field to get chunks. You know, uh, Pickett's really the entire Steelers team, like their big time throw percentage was was third in the NFL. Like he threw a lot of dimes deep down the field. They didn't always catch them. You know, their drop rate was also 12th highest in the NFL. So they, a lot of those big time throws weren't paid off because Deontay, unfortunately, just couldn't keep his freaking feet in bounds a lot of times but (laughs) like Kenny was was really airing it out and throwing some gorgeous balls down the field but that felt like the only way they could get chunks they have to improve that this year they have to improve their yak ability and they can't keep making Kenny do everything in the pass game like they have to give him some help 
It's weird to think that we're talking about the receivers and saying they have to give their quarterback some help because for years the Steelers' wide receiver core was obviously the envy of the NFL. They had at all times kind of three dudes that were really effective. And, you know, attrition, age, trades have have changed that a little bit. Um, Again, they've got some guys that we think can ascend, but it's so funny because for years, like, the Steelers couldn't pick a wrong wide receiver. Everybody they picked seemed to flourish for a bit. And, you know, all things change in the NFL and usually pretty quickly. And, you know, it's not that they can't, it's that they're going to have to, right? Deontay's going to have to keep his feet in bounds and Pickens is going to have to, you know, convert some of those some of those things that he didn't last year. And he's going to have to expand his route tree as well. Like, they're all going to have to do a little bit of work. Um, but I think, Again, with Pickett's growth, he was sort of leading, which was very strange as a rookie. I mean, if you'd asked most most fans around the league, maybe not Pittsburgh fans, because shout out to Pittsburgh fans, some of the most knowledgeable and passionate fans in the NFL, period. Hands down, not worth debate. Absolutely true. Um, if you'd said before the season, hey, Pickett's going to be like pulling this wide receiving core along, people would be like, come on. But he was at times. But he like, was at he times. He was the one that people were worried about. Yeah. You know, because, again, when Kenny was dropping these dimes down the field, Pickens was the one actually catching them and yep. actually converting. Um, they, Deontay, I, I don't want to say Deontay had a down year, but there was a lot of meat left on the bone. And it's frustrating. It's really frustrating. And it, it, they kind of leaned even harder into that we're going to go win with 50-50 balls because they brought in Allen Robinson. Like, they still got Boykin there as a big guy. I kind of want to see them feature Calvin Austin more because if anybody's going to be some sort of yak threat, it's probably going to be him. They don't really have anybody else to do it. And it's, you know, a player we'd both like to see more from because, man, is he cool when he gets the ball in his hands. He's just not getting it very often. Blame Canada. Blame Canada. <laughs> Speaking of, uh, the power structure of the Steelers, Matt Canada is back for another year at offensive coordinator. Considering the talent they have assembled, yeah, kind of got to make it work now. Like, if it doesn't work now, it's just not going to work. So I don't want to say it's like a, a do-or-die year for Matt Canada, but it's kind of a do-or-die year for Matt Canada. Yeah, we'll talk about Matt in a second. We'll start at the top, the GM. Omar Khan, uh, really a continuation of a very strong Pittsburgh lineage. But it does feel, I don't know, I'll ask you, does it feel like there's been a little bit of a tweak, even though this was a very orderly succession in terms of GM? Does it feel different than Colbert? I don't want to say riskier, but they're definitely swinging for the fences a little bit more, especially when it comes to like picking up guys that maybe slip a little bit due to injury concerns. Like you can see that in this draft, right? There, it's very much like a, yeah, if it works, great for us. You know, if we strike out, we strike out. But if we hit the homer, we're still getting runs, right? Uh, it's it's a more entertaining way to build a football team, you know, selfishly for us because yeah. we get to talk about, oh, my God, I can't believe they got Darnell Washington. But there's a lot of GMs that are, are very much like, if you're a six, seven tight end with foot problems, I don't want you. Yeah. And Omar's like, fuck it. Like, sure, why not? That's exactly the wrinkle I was looking for. I wondered if you'd sort of seen or felt that too. It feels like under Omar Khan, this team has a little bit more, a little bit more pizzazz. That's the exact word I was going to use. 
And it's fun to see because, again, we, you know, an orderly transition in terms of football, if you've had a lot of success, and the Steelers have, you don't want to go in a radically different direction because there's a lot of risk involved. But having the same thing for another 10 or 15 years, that's a little boring. And it feels like a little bit of spice this year. We got to see a little bit more personality from Omar in the draft. Um, head coach Mike Tomlin can't sing his praises high as highly enough. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the most respected coaches in all of the NFL cannot go under 500. It is like physically impossible. <laughs> and honestly, the coolest guy in the room, having been within 25 feet of that guy, there is an aura, right? You're just like, damn, that guy's cool. Like, look at how everybody responds to that guy. And it's the most natural thing in the world for him. Um, and that that bleeds over to the players and the culture and, and the feeling of um, cohesiveness of a football team. And Tomlin's got that like in spades. I think he might be the best coach in the NFL for that. He's definitely the most resilient. Um, and he's definitely somebody who is going to go to the Hall of Fame a, because he's a great coach, and B, just because he held the killer bees together for as long as he did. Literally nobody else in the NFL could do that. In terms of like handling interpersonal relationships, I have never seen a human being in any career handle people better than Mike Tomlin. Like it's it's unbelievable. I I would take a class from him and spend any amount of money on it. Like I don't it's priceless in terms of just how to handle people because he's better than any person I have ever seen do that. Yeah, that particular piece of Tomlin, the one you just identified, feels very Parcells-like to me. Mm, yeah. Because, you know, Bill Parcells, certainly in his run with the Giants, and even later as he moved to, as he kind of got on his mercenary swing and went to different teams. But with the Giants, there was big personalities, some big problems, and he was able to sort of, again, pull that whole team together and have them pull very strongly and successfully in the same direction. And Tomlin feels the same way. Um, we know there have been issues behind the scenes in Pittsburgh. Some of them have leaked out, some of them haven't, but regardless, this team will not go under 500 and has been much more successful than that on average. So, you know, big sidebar on Mike Tomlin, but well worth it. One of the best coaches in the NFL. Now it's time to time blame Canada. Matt Canada, the OC. Many Steelers fans calling for his head for the last two years. Calls got louder this year. I think that's just with time. Uh, folks want to see something different. It is really a put up or shut up year for him. Um, you know, Kenny in year two, we're expecting development. Wide receiver core, very good. Um, starting running back, very good. The rest of the running back room, we'll see. Starting tight end, extremely good. Mm-hmm. Offensive line extremely good the foundation on which everything is built on that side of the ball like he he can't really claim that he doesn't have the groceries to go back to another parcelism um he's got what he needs to manufacture some wins here and he has to do it and if he doesn't you know he's survived two seasons already doing this but the heat's going to turn up significantly um and you know tomlin's loyalty to him will be tested i just i i need to see more versatility more creativity more i don't want to say misdirection um less predictability i think is probably the the best way to put it because it does feel like he has his favorites and he plays the hits every single week and eventually especially nfl teams like 
I'm sorry. We've seen under the hood in terms of the tools that teams have available to them. Yes. To literally, uh, oh God, okay. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna spill some beans here. <laughs> here comes the. Because I know if we can do it, teams can do it yeah, too, for sure. Looking at, you know, let's say, breaking down a Matt Canada offense, mm-hmm. they can literally sort by formation, mm-hmm. down, distance, yard line. They can sort by the exact spot of the ball, yes. personnel groupings, including certain particular matchups, uh, you know, certain particular guys on the field, um, time on the clock, points differential. They can look at every single snap under all of those parameters and more. That's right. And watch every single one of them on an instantly generated playlist because all the film after games gets digitized in the first hour. They can watch this on the plane, on the way home after the game. And they can watch every single one of those snaps. They can take notes on every single one of those plays. And they can figure you out in a day. That is what the modern NFL is. Teams can figure you out in a day. Mm -hmm. And if you run the same shit every single week and you give them weeks to figure you out, they will dismantle you. He has to diversify. He has to play more than just the hits. I know Freebird's awesome. Play something else. Freebird. Yeah, no, and it's even quicker than that with the addition of AI because that sorting can be sort of pre-done for you. There are teams already doing that. Yeah, <laughs> and it can be just delivered to your desk. You don't uh-huh. even have to do it on the plane home. AI will do the, the chunk sorting, and you can sort of sift through and go, yeah, this is what I want. I want to see uh, you know, more of the same plays run from multiple formations because you could do that pretty easily. Um, and that's a good way to sort of throw off the scent early <laughs> and not have them all end up in the same bucket uh, that AI grabs and dumps in your your film dump. Um, we'll see, but there's a lot of pressure on him because again, they are not short of tools. Uh, the picket pick worked out so far. People are, there's no rush to replace him as, oh, he doesn't have it. You know, they're building around him at this point. And if the results don't match up, um, that simmering, I'll call it simmering, generously discontent from the past couple of years is going to boil over. Defensively, defensive coordinator Terrell Austin, um, again, gets a lot of nice tools and toys. We'll talk about those as we get through free agency in the draft. Uh, We're looking for a defensive increase, which is really a defensive return, (laughs) return to prominence for the Steelers. Um, And their special teams goes Danny Smith, one of the most tenured special teams coaches in the league, has been around forever, is really good and puts a very solid product on the field. Again, um, folks in Pittsburgh, (laughs) I think, don't get to call for his head just because of his tenure. Um, He's not necessarily the most exciting, but you also don't see a lot of special teams gaffes that cost the Steelers games. He keeps them out of those. And as a special teams coach, I put a lot of value on that. Yeah, just don't fuck up. Like that's that's yeah. honestly half the job is like don't have penalties, don't hold, don't set your offense back, don't put your offense in a worse position. Don't put your defense in a worse position with penalties. Like just don't mess up. Don't give up big returns to make yeah. it short fields. As long as you just limit mistakes, you're going to be a top 
special teams unit. That's really what special teams Don't be the focus of Twitter on a Monday, and you will be a very (laughs) successful special teams coach. In terms of other notable coaches they have on the staff, Pat Meyer, the offensive line coach, want to shout him out because the offensive line of the Steelers is rock solid year after year. Um, 20 years as a coach, nine in the NFL. He gets a shiny new toy in the draft. He's got to be really excited about that. Uh, But he had a really good base to start with. Um, it's a nice new addition. Should make that line extremely powerful. Frisman Jackson, the wide receiver coach, is new to the staff, came from Carolina, played four years in as a wide receiver in the league for Cleveland. I remember him as a player, so that's the reason I put him on this list. Defense and special teams, I want to talk about Carl Dunbar, uh, you know, Pat Myers foil on the defensive side as the defensive line coach. Fifth year as the Steelers defensive line coach, 16th overall as a defensive line coach. And again, consistently develops talent at the position. We see this with the Steelers, right? They have enough patience. They have enough stability with Tomlin. He's not going anywhere. They'll pick a guy, won't do a lot in the first year. Um, You know, Bud Dupree even didn't do a lot in the second year. In the third year, he blossomed um, and was a really good player. We see that with players like Highsmith. This is consistent, and a lot of that has to do with Carl Dunbar and, you know, defensive coordinator working together to say, this is the way we do it. This is the role we have for you. These are our expectations. This is the way you play as a Steeler. And guys get a chance to develop, and they do consistently. So Aaron Curry, the inside linebackers coach, is new to the staff, spent the last four years in Seattle. We called him out last year in this section when we were talking about the Seahawks. Former first-round pick of the Seahawks. That was a bust. One of the biggest busts in NFL history by a lot of people's estimation. Um, Seahawks were loyal to the former player and said, come on in as a coach. He spent four years with them. Tomlin likes his work, picks him up to work with the inside linebackers in Pittsburgh. And Gerald Alexander is the assistant DB coach. Um, Pittsburgh secondary. We already talked about Minko. We talked about those corners. They've been on sort of a rotating corner program for the last two or three years. They've had a a sort of mercenary approach to filling those spots. They know what they want in those roles, but they've done them in shorter term. They haven't gone out. I think their most expensive corner last year was like $4 million. Yeah, they have not prioritized it money-wise or in the draft. Um, Gerald Alexander's holding that together. Uh, He played with five NFL teams, Detroit, Jacksonville, Carolina, Miami, and New York Jets in his five-year NFL career. So one of those guys that moved around a lot, um, wasn't the most talented guy, but got to see a lot of different coaching philosophies, a lot of different systems, definitely helps him in his role as a coach. One note on uh, Carl Dumber, by the way, Uh, one of the, the best disciples of Pete Jenkins, who is if you don't know who Pete Jenkins is, he's like the Dante Scarnecchi of defensive line coaches. He's arguably the best defensive line coach ever. And uh, Carl Dunbar studied under him. And no wonder he's a damn good defensive line coach. Picked, <laughs> up, picked up more than a few lessons. <laughs> yeah. Uh, now, given all of that information that we talked about so far, um, offensively, defensively, but mostly offensively, from a, a fantasy perspective, and I, I have some grievances to air here. Oh, it's Festivus? It's Festivus for the rest of us. Okay. Kenny Pickett right now, specifically uh, in, in best ball drafts, is going as QB 23, which means barely rosterable, basically, as like a second quarterback. That, to me, is a little disrespectful. <laughs> I do not see Kenny Pickett as the 23rd best quarterback in the NFL, uh, nor do I see him as the 23rd most productive quarterback coming up here in the NFL. We talked about a lot of the issues that the Steelers offense had last year. 
I don't particularly think they were Kenny Pickett's fault. Hell, he didn't even play during a lot of the games where they were having most of their issues. Yeah. You know, again, we talk about lack of diversity in the run game. We talk about the fact that, you know, his big time throw percentage was like top three in the NFL is just Deontay couldn't keep his freaking toes in bounds. You know, his his receivers weren't getting yards after catch. His running backs weren't getting yards after catch. There was not a whole lot that went wrong last year that was Kenny Pickett's fault. And he's probably going to be better this year. And I like to think just through, like, basic laws of regression to the mean, that his <laughs> weapons are going to catch the damn ball more often, especially when you have George Pickens who catches everything. I... I really don't understand QB 23. So if I'm value hunting in the Patriots, or not the Patriots, the Steelers, God, I know, people just flipped off right now. Um, <laughs> they flipped you off. Flipped me sure. off, and they definitely <laughs> shut down the show. Uh, when I'm value hunting in the Steelers offense, Kenny Pickett is probably my priority one because I know that Najee's going as RB 13. I'm probably not going to get Najee if I'm looking for a value. You know, Fryermuth is going as TE10, which is appropriate, but if I'm, right. if I'm waiting for a tight end, I'm probably not going to get Fryermuth. You know, Pickens and Deontay are going at wide receiver 39 and 37, which is a whole different grievance that I have. That's too low for both of them. But if I'm hunting for somebody who I can get at pick 170-something, yeah. and I'm getting a quarterback who I know is going to outproduce several of the quarterbacks that go ahead of him, Kenny Pickett to me is an easy guy that I'm targeting. He's probably going to be on most of my best ball drafts. And I, I kind of feel like it's easy money for me. Feels like a take that is sort of left over from like a month after he started starting in the middle of last year. Yes. Like four weeks in, people are like, oh, see, we told you he's having growing pains, which for any rookie quarterback yeah, no is, the, rookie. <laughs> is the way. Plus, you talk about all the additional challenges that were surrounding him, and people kind of like form their opinion, and this happens. It happened with Jalen Hurts in college, right? They saw him in the national championship game, and they went, that's the guy he is. And three years later, they're like, oh, he's this. And you're like, yeah, he was that three years ago, Yeah, but it's been three years, and quite frankly, two schools it's a different deal. Like he's a different player. And if you looked at Kenny Pickett at that point after his first three or four starts and Kenny Pickett at the end of the season, I think if you looked at him in the beginning, you'd get this, you know, 171st overall or, you know, well after 20 other quarterbacks have been picked. Okay, I'll go Kenny Pickett. If you looked at him at the end of the year, it's higher than that. Now, I mentioned my grievance with the receivers as well. Um, you know, Pickens is at wide receiver 39, Deontay's at wide receiver 37. So in a 12-man draft, neither of them are going even as a wide receiver three. They're going as wide receiver fours, both of them. Hmm. Can you name any other football team where the highest drafted receiver is going as a wide receiver four in fantasy? That also makes no sense. And it reeks of people being like, I don't know which one to draft, so I'm not drafting either of them. Yeah, well, there's that. And so they're taking worse players ahead of them. Yeah. And I I do not align with that that line of thinking. As far as I'm concerned, they're both really good. Now, Pickens, especially wide receiver 39, is inconscionable to me. He's better than Deontay, in my opinion. He will, if not this year, by the end of this year, uh, will be seen as the wide receiver one for them because he's a great route runner. He's got incredible hands. He's really good in the red zone. He's a connection with Pickett. 
really the one thing I wish he got better at was getting yards after the catch. But in terms of like the go up and get it 50-50 ball guy for an offense that really seems to want to build around that style, he's the best one on the roster. And so for him to go, you know, in the in the 70s, gimme, gimme, gimme. Yeah, it's kind of a Bermuda Triangle, right? We have this outdated opinion of Pickett, so that flows down mm-hmm. to our wide receivers. We're not sure about that. And then we have these two wide receivers in the corner. We're not sure which one's going to be featured. We're not sure which one's going to be better. So we're just staying away from the whole triangle. We're picking the quarterback late, and we just don't know what to do with the wide receivers. So we're just <laughs> scrap the whole thing, right? And then, like you said, sometimes picking players who are lesser earlier on because of that uncertainty. They're just staying away from uncertainty more than anything else, it feels like. We talked yesterday with the Browns about how I was staying away from the Browns passing game because Deshaun was legitimately bad on tape last year. And I, I, I'm not certain about Deshaun, so I'm not drafting anybody from the Browns passing attack. I'm more certain about Kenny. Just yeah. watching film. Like, I'm really more certain about Kenny. I'm, I'm, I feel like the Steelers passing game is a safer investment. So I'm probably going to end up with most of these dudes on my team. Well, maybe not Najee. But in terms of the receivers and Kenny, I'm probably going to end up with all of them in most of my drafts just because it's easy value. Uh, now, if you yourself are a Steelers fan who also uh, believes in Kenny Pickett not being the 23rd ranked quarterback, and you feel like you can uh, you can also share in the value again promo code bootleg over at Underdog Fantasy when you're drafting all your teams, whether it's you know going after that 15 million dollar prize pool in Best Ball Mania, or you're using it for mock drafts. Like a lot of people use it for mock drafts because. You know, you can throw $2 into a draft and it kind of makes people stay mm-hmm. in the entire draft. They don't leave and then go on. You're drafting against 12 dudes on auto draft. And it's it's not a very accurate mock experience if you're getting ready for your home league. So a lot of people use underdog to get more accurate mocks. Takes. Yes. You yeah. know, actually drafting against people. So, you know, if you want to if you want to deposit and use underdog just for that, a lot of people do that. If you want to play pickums during the season, you know, and make some some crazy ass money like we did last year, <laughs> you could do that too. Really whatever you want to do underdog in any sport, they got you covered. So again, promo code bootleg, they'll match your deposit up to $100. And uh, you know, do do your Steelers fandom proud. Go get yourself Kenny Pickett in like the 16th round or whatever right. he's going in a little right bit now. quote unquote early. <laughs> yeah. Now, looking at free agency losses, a lot of addition by subtraction to me. Other than Cam Sutton, I'm kind of not sad about any of these losses. Yeah, sad isn't the word I would use. Um, Akella Weatherspoon's on there. He struggled with injury. Love him as a player, but he didn't really deliver for them. Um, And then kind of have to scroll through, wow, a lot of guys before we get to, you know, Miles Jack. Uh, was really excited for his addition when he came over. Again, didn't really work out. Am I sad about it? No. Same thing about William Jackson the third. The cornerback was like, oh, this is a great fit. Again, didn't work out. They let him go as well. Uh, Malik Reed, um, I think the Dolphins probably got something there. I like him as a rusher, but am I sad about it? Nope, haven't hit the sad marker yet. Uh, Terrell Edmonds, as again, that safety that's played next to Minka. Look, they're going to invest in Minka and replace that role because it is more replaceable. So Terrell Edmonds gets to walk. Um, Cam Sutton moves on. He ends up with the Lions. And then Devin Bush um, ends up with the Seahawks. But 
Again, I think they wanted more out of the linebacking core. You're talking about addition by subtraction. That one particularly feels that way. Like, hey, you've run your course here. Uh, we're certainly not going to pay you. Um, if you wanted to come back on a cut rate deal, maybe with familiarity to be a backup, but that's very tough when you've picked a guy high in the draft. You yeah. just sort of uh, custom tailored to be the the next thing at a role, and it doesn't work out. They don't typically go, okay, I'll come back and be second. Um, but overall, you know, sadness from any of those losses, or do I feel like it really limits the power of this team? Not particularly. I thought it was very telling that they gave a Landon Roberts the same money that Devin Bush signed for in Seattle. Like they just they they wanted a change. They wanted a change. You know, they brought in Holcomb for like six million. We'll, we'll get to the additions in a second. Like they they replaced their linebacking core because that was a a a position that they struggled with yes. for a while, and they invested resources, a lot of resources, over and over and over again. Just could not get it to work. So maybe you know maybe Holcomb and a Landon Roberts are the the cure here to just get average linebacker play for once. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, in terms of retentions, they kept Larry Ogunjobi. Three technique extraordinaire. Going to be a, a pretty good rotational piece for them. Uh, at $9.5 million, given the current interior defensive line market, there's going to be dudes getting signed this offseason for triple that. So I'll take Larry Ogunjobi at 9.5. Thank you very much. I know you, as a Bears fan, you're Chicago still... Chicago Bears <laughs> legend, Larry Ogunjobi. You're still pissed about it. You're never going to well, let it go. Well, you know, I have to trust the doctors, but it was the first big swing. And man, as a GM, it had to hurt Ryan Poles, right? You yeah. whiff on your first big swing, and it's not your fault. The docs basically come to you and go, we're not comfortable, and you got to let him go. It was almost inevitable. He was going to go to another team, and he was going to play well. He's a talented player. You know, good on the Steelers for making a match there. Uh, but, yeah, it's always going to sting a little bit. They also kept Demonte KZ to be their third safety. And then uh, looking at outside additions, because I don't think uh, legally Demonte KZ is allowed to play anywhere other than where Keanu Neal is playing. <laughs> uh, they also brought in Keanu Neal to be. It's a package deal. Quite literally, yes. Yeah. Uh, so Neal's the new Edmonds, uh, so to speak, strong safety. He's also played some linebacker in his career. He's somebody who. You can put KZ on the field and then move Keanu down to play dimebacker if you really want to. I know he wants to play safety more than linebacker, but still, you can kind of move those guys all together. Uh, Armin Watts, like I mentioned, they brought him in to be a rotational piece. Um, Cole Holcomb at $6 million, Landon Roberts at 3.5. Totally remade their starting linebacker duo. Uh, Isaac uh, Sumalau? Sumalau? Uh, Sumalau. I always... That's, that's one that all, I always struggle with. We all have names we can't get. Very, very, very good starting guard. Yes. At $8 million, I'm ecstatic about Lockdown side. And they needed him. Yes. Desperately. That was a great deal. Uh, Allen Robinson, at seven and a half, they traded for that contract. I was, eh, okay. It's a gamble. You're yeah. hoping he rebounds. But again, uh, a little bit like we talked about Deshaun Watson yesterday, you're hoping for a return to form, but it's been a minute. Uh, they also brought in Nate Herbig to join his brother, Nick Herbig. So both Herbig brothers are in Pittsburgh. Yep. Uh, th this is a team that really loves having brothers on the <laughs> roster, apparently. Apparently it's a thing, yes. <laughs> uh, they also brought in Shannon Sullivan and Patrick Peterson to round out that corner group. Again, they are trying to invest in corner finally. And I think they learned some lessons from last year that they – they can't go another year without investing in corner. So overall, they they did a lot of work in free agency and then did 
even more work in the draft to make this quite possibly the best Steelers roster they've had in uh, in some time. Yeah, in terms of corner, they really went with shotgun approach. They went with short-term band-aids and the guys we talked about in free agency uh, for a little bit different reasons. Um, you know, Shannon Sullivan, it's a you know low-risk deal financially. Patrick Peterson, you're going to have to pay for, but he's got a season or two left. Uh, and then they doubled up. Right. A lot of times you'll see a shotgun approach in the draft where they'll pick three players at the same position. Here they're sort of doubling up with two in free agency for now and two in the draft for later. But we'll get to that. Round one, middle of round one, pick 14. They start off really strong, in my opinion, with offensive tackle Broderick Jones from Georgia. Um, again, he's going to get to work with their line coach, be next to four other really talented dudes. Um, in a city with a really strong offensive line history. He himself, incredibly talented, great mover, really good size. Um, I think he can be a you know bookend piece for them for a long time. Felt like a lock fit for both player role oh, organization. We know they were talking to the Bears to even go up to get him at, at nine too. So to get him at 14 is even better value. Yeah, they basically had to sit on their hands, not by choice, and still end up getting the player they want. Sometimes that happens. Uh, it's a very happy day when that happens in a draft room. Round two, all the way down at the end, pick uh, 32, or sort of right at the top of round two, which is usually the end of round one. Uh, thanks to a forfeited pick this year, they go and get the aforementioned cornerback, Joey Porter Jr., son of Joey Porter Sr., great stealer from Penn State. Again, tons of length, physical, just a perfect fit in terms of what the Steelers are looking for in terms of go beat that guy up, right? Don't let him get off the line. That's where Porter really excels. Round two, they break my heart. Pick 49, they take Keanu Benton, mm. nose tackle. Uh, I'll say defensive tackle from Wisconsin, who had more pass rush than you'd think, but is a very large human being. And as soon as that pick was announced, I was like, oh, I'm really sad. Oh, I'm actually kind of really happy because he's going to have a great career. Him under Carl Dunbar like, is going to be a nightmare. Plus, like my, my comp for him was Cam Hayward. So it's like yeah. not only under Carl Dunbar, but you're learning from Cam Hayward. He's going to be a pro bowler for them, I would I would expect. In terms of making sense, the first three picks, you're like Broderick Jones, great. Joey Porter Jr., of course. Keanu Benton, oh, man, be still my heart. So they are absolutely crushing it through the first three picks. And then they go for the injury risk round three, pick 93 overall. Uh, uh, tight end Darnell Washington. We already talked about them picking up the Ogunjobi contract. They have a uh, more flexible approach to medical issues by the by the sounds of it. Um, Darnell Washington, great player. Uh, de facto sixth offensive lineman on any play and then freakish ability as a tight end. If you line up him and Fryermuth, oh, like, pfft, get yeah. out. That's a hell of a 12 personnel look. <laughs> yeah, like, what are you going to do? Uh, they can both get down the scene. They can both catch passes. They can both block, uh, stack them on the same side and say, I dare you. Um, lots of flexibility. Again, really like the fit. Round four, pick 132. They pick up Nick Herbig, the edge from Wisconsin, who I actually think will probably play some inside linebacker for them. That's how they had him listed right off the draft. Oh, they did. I actually think he's better there because I didn't he can cover. Huh. Like he didn't cover very much at Wisconsin. I said, EJ, how do you know he can cover? He had like 40 coverage reps last year, but like 12 of them were very good. I watched them all and he'll undercut routes. He had some PBUs. He had like three PBUs and like 40 coverage attempts. 
he didn't do it very often, but the skills are there. It's just one of those guys, um, a little bit like George Kittle, where he just didn't get asked to do things. Doesn't mean he can't do things. So I think he's a steal in the fourth round for the Steelers. Uh, round seven, 241, they end. Corey Trice Jr. slide for you. Um, again, Corey Trice Jr. just on tape, physical ability, all that combined is like a third rounder at worst. Oh, I was... You were much higher. I was even higher than that, and I think he's phenomenal. But like middle of the third round at worst. Like that is his floor. If we're talking ceiling and floor, and he just dropped, and he dropped, and he dropped, and he dropped. We thought he was going to go undrafted. We were very surprised because we'd reached out pre-draft, uh, sort of taking the temperature around some of the league sources we had. Like, are we nuts or do we like? Are we the only ones that like this guy? No, a lot of people like this guy. But what they didn't say is. Oh, he's got a medical folder this thick. Yeah. He's got a lot of medical issues. We didn't hear that part, so we only heard the first part of, oh, the league likes him, and he looks really talented on tape. So we're like, oh, can't get through the third round. That's larceny. Fourth round. Fifth round. Yeah. Sixth round. Knee knee problems can be a bitch sometimes. Yeah. (laughs) Seventh round, they end his slide. He has looked, as you mentioned, in OTAs. Incredible. Not surprising to either one of us. He has to stay healthy. Like, that's the sauce. Yeah. If he stays healthy, this would be a great pick. If he doesn't stay healthy, nobody will care. He was 241 in round seven. Like they waited the appropriate length of time and then went, come on, it's yeah. worth the lottery ticket. And if he stays healthy, he'll be far better than a lottery ticket. Mark our words on that one. They finish out draft round seven, pick 251, 10 picks later. Uh, Spencer Anderson, the guard from Maryland. Um, I have a feeling that he could succeed in their system. It will take some time. I don't know if he'll be on the 53 this year. I can see him as a practice squad guy getting that sort of longer tail that the Steelers will give folks to develop and then coming in and being a solid backup. Like that's very possible. But again, if he doesn't, we're talking about pick 251 in the draft. Besides the injury issues to Washington and Trice, this is like a grand slam home run. Oh, my God. It's amazing. It's so good. If these guys stay healthy, we're going to look back at this draft and say, this is the refurbishment of the Steelers' core in one year. If they don't stay healthy, it'll probably be Broderick Jones. We think he'll be good. Joey Porter will be at least solid, if not a star in their particular system. And, you know, Maybe Keanu Benton works out and half of this draft is still pretty good. As a hit rate, that's still great. If the guys with injury histories work out, this is an all-timer. It's like the, the Jets draft last year, you know, getting offensive and defensive rookie of the year. I'm, I'm not saying that Keanu Benton's going to be defensive rookie of the year. I'm not saying that, uh, you know, Broderick Trone's going to be offensive rookie of the year because Lyman never win it. But in terms of just impact players, they got phenomenal impact players on offense and defense, like Joey Porter Jr. Again, I cannot stress this enough how perfect a fit he is. They got one, two, three starters, maybe up to five. Yeah, depending on how it works. In one draft, that's unheard of. Quality starters at that. So uh, in terms of their UDFA haul, I was less enthused about that, but I guess when you knock the the draft out of the park that much who cares you can relax a bit yeah, tanner morgan is worth a mention you know the minnesota quarterback uh if we're just trying to find a stylistic uh similar ish sort of backup to kenny pickett except like not nearly as talented uh like maybe i I'm guess waiting to see how you're gonna finesse that 
he's not going to pick it. <laughs> he's just not. Uh, but, you know, could he push Mason Rudolph for QB3? Maybe. At worst, he's ending up on the practice squad. We'll see. It, it's worth a camp invite. Yep. Um, other than that, not really a, a whole lot to write home about in their UDFA class. Um, so that kind of brings us to their overall report card. And this is kind of how we judge uh, front office, coaching, offense, and defensive uh, progression from one year to the next. And it can go up, it can go down, or it could stay the same, it could stay stable. Um, front office, up. Mainly because we think that the offseason they had, I'm not, ta- I'm not just talking about the draft. It takes a while to judge the draft. I'm talking about the free agency work they did mm-hmm. in terms of turning over the roster and filling holes and adding depth with proven commodities. I thought they did a phenomenal job. Mm-hmm. I think Khan has proven himself already to be a very, very, very good general manager. Uh, coaching, I struggle with this one because typically, like if there's just a flat line coach carryover, we typically just make it even. Um, retaining Canada is like just an ever so slight tick down. It's not like a full down. It's like a half down, mainly because... And if he adjusts, it could be neutral or Maybe, even better. But just going off what we know <laughs> at Canada, I'm kind of like, okay. Could I guess. you have done better? And the answer feels like probably yes. Fairly easily, yes, you could have. Now, in terms of adding offensive talent, again, taking coaching aside, offensive talent that's clearly up. You know, Broderick Jones, um, you know, uh, Sumalau. Did I get that? Did I nail it? Probably not. No. Sumalau. Fuck. I'll get there. I'll get I know there. you will. Say Omalo. Uh, you know, again, Kenny Pickett going to year two. Offensive talent, clearly up. And defensive talent, also way, way, way up. You're adding Joey Porter. You know, the corner overhaul, the linebacker overhaul. You're getting Keanu Benton. Talent-wise, offense and defense, this team is so much more talented than last year. And last year should have been a playoff team. Fully agree. Feel like the roster continues to go up. Again, Omar Khan a little bit more gambler's mentality, but we think that end result right now looks like a more talented team on both sides. And again, the team last year should have probably won double digits. If they'd started mm-hmm. Pickett from the beginning of the year, if TJ Watt had stayed healthy, they would have been a double digit win team again under Mike Tomlin. And you added more talent to that. Um, Feels like a very positive outlook for the Steelers moving into 2023. I see them uh, in terms of ceiling and floor. We each have our own ceiling and floor. I put the Browns ceiling if everything goes right at 12 win. I'm talking like Deshaun looks like Deshaun. You know, the defense improves like we thought the Browns defense can improve. Everything went right. I saw their ceiling at 12 wins, be a very good AFC team, push for the first seed. If everything goes right for the Steelers, I'm putting that at 13. They could be the first seed in a loaded AFC if they hit all the green green lights that I think they're going to hit because their talent level is insane now. Mm-hmm. It's stacked top to bottom. Their floor, solely because Mike Tomlin, it's nine. It's above 500. I'm, I am not putting a below 500 floor for the Steelers. Can't do it, won't do it, will never do it. Their floor is nine. And that's if everything goes to shit. Yep. They're going to be a winning team. Because so many times already, everything went to shit and they were still a winning team. I think they're going to push at their best for a very high seed in the AFC. At their worst, they're a wild card team. 
I'm going to light my hair on fire and do the bear dance and go for the outlier, which is I'll start with floor. I'm going to say eight, which eight is 500 <laughs> when there's 16 games. It's never happened. I know. It's never happened. I know. That's what I'm saying. This is the this is the one time I'm going off the reservation. And again, I don't think that's going to happen. I think that's their absolute floor. That is Pickett gets hurt early and they just can't get it rolling. Canada doesn't adjust. Defenses come in. They're calling their plays before the Steelers run them. Um, and the wheels fall off. I say eight. Do I think it's going to happen? No. It's never happened in history. I think it's very unlikely, but I can see a path to eight. It's highly unlikely. I think much more likely is my ceiling at 11. And that is a playoff team. And coming out of a, again, very tough division in the AFC North where the teams beat the hell out of each other regularly all season. And you always lose at least one of those interdivisional games that you, quote unquote, shouldn't have lost because it's just that division. Everybody comes to play and they knock the snot out of each other. Um, Pickett develops. The offense develops. Canada gets a little bit more creative. They're not only double digit wins. They're into 11. Solid playoff team. Get into the tournament. See when they peak. You know, maybe they end up going to the conference championship game, even as an 11 win team through the playoffs, because they're more balanced, they're more talented. Um, it's basically last year's nine win team with the breaks they should have had playing solid and balanced football. All right. I think we've done a good enough job of gassing them up before I go to Pittsburgh so they don't tar and feather me when I get <laughs> so there. So you get to come home? So I get to come home in one piece. Uh, I, I'm going to a, a proper Pittsburgh house party while I'm out there. Yes. Going to grab some Polish food. Which, by the way, oh, pierogies. Yes. Fuck. Yeah. No. Pittsburgh food scene vastly underrated. By the way, for sure. Western PA knows how to freaking cook. Um, all right, we're gonna be back tomorrow with the Ravens uh, once again. Uh, cannot thank Underdog enough for sponsoring us. Use promo code Bootleg over UnderdogFantasy.com. They will match your deposit up to a hundred dollars. Uh, check out Homage for uh, really any and all Steelers clothing. Mm -hmm. We get a cut of anything you buy from Homage, and they have every Steelers design you can think of. So that also helps support the show. And we will be back tomorrow to talk some Ravens. Until then, later. Take care.